Welcome to Unapologetically Me, where we help you own who you are while giving you tips to achieve ultimate mental health. I'm your host, Boomer Peralt. What's going on, everyone? I hope everybody is having a great day and is being safe out there while we go through this current pandemic. My guest today is Bridget Barisco, who is a licensed and independent clinical social worker. She specializes in working through unhealthy relationship patterns, difficult life transitions, premarital counseling, and stress and anxiety. Essentially, what we talked about in this episode is just how to create and maintain a healthy relationship with your significant other. So I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that can benefit from this. But before we get into the episode... We have a word from this week's sponsor, Good Guy Brand Company. We all know the concept of good guys versus bad guys, but what if we took it a step further? What if we talked about how good guys can be people who have made big mistakes? What if we opened the conversation of humanity to the concept that we are all connected infinitely through our energy? Our logo is a custom font in the shape of a circle with an infinity symbol in the middle, with a slight gap that ends the infinite flow. That gap, that gap is where the good guy comes in. We bring the good, we fill the gap and correct the energy flow, whether it be a random act of kindness to a stranger, helping a lost dog get home, taking time to hold our kids when they're hurt, or giving the elderly person a few extra minutes of conversation. There are an infinite number of ways to bring the good to this world. Join us over at Good Guy Brand Company at goodguybrand.co. That is goodguybrand.co. And with that, let's get into the episode. Yeah, just jumping right in. uh, This is always something that I want to say I think about a lot, but I definitely do think of. Um, In your opinion, working with uh, couples doing therapy and whatnot. Why do you think the divorce rate is so damn high right now? Ooh, tricky question. I think it depends on so many different things. Um, yeah, of course, there's multiple reasons. <laughs> but, uh, just- yeah, in my in my subset, I think it's because people make promises the day that they get married, and they don't know what those promises entail or the work that goes along with them. And I think that we wake up making choices every day and, and sometimes it doesn't work or sometimes that scale is off, right? The, the commitment versus passion versus love, they're all kind of their own scale. And when people feel like there's too much work to put in, they cut bait instead of, you know, trying to to take all of the avenues. Mm -hmm. What is it? It's over 50% now, right? The divorce rate. 
yeah, I think it's 56 or close to 60, but yeah. And then it goes up with, you know, a second marriage or a third marriage. It's up even higher than that mm -hmm. when you're getting married again. Yeah. Around 60. I mean, that's high, but it's even crazier to think uh, of the 40 left, how many are not getting divorced, but are still unhappy relationships, um, which for someone that's uh, single, it's a little, uh, you know, terrifying to think that, you know, that could be 80% of relationships that either end or are unhappy or a number like that. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty crazy number. It is. And I think, you know, the, the weird thing that we do as humans is we base everything on our past experiences and relationships don't work until they do. So when you're, when you're using your experiences as how do I do this better? or How do I do this differently? It's continuously a learning process. So people make that commitment to marriage as if it's another relationship and they're still learning and they're still growing and they're still trying to understand themselves and the relationship. And I think they enter that commitment of forever differently or with blinders on, not seeing that it's a continuous growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all those words you just use, like learning and growth. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand that a relate, a successful long-term relationship is work. Uh, you know, it's not just you're in a relationship and everything's happy. You know, you have to work on tailoring what you do and your needs to fit the other person uh, and vice versa. And obviously sometimes a relationship could end, I don't want to say a positive reason, but, you know, maybe you guys are, or the two people in it are just on a personal develop, development journey that takes them in two separate ways. But I would assume more, re, uh, more times than not, it's because there may be no personal development going on or just one-sided uh and yeah, just I, I think a lot of people don't understand that it does take work to keep a and maintain a healthy, successful relationship. Oh, absolutely. Right. And I think people don't realize every day you wake up, it's a choice and you have to love is is not uh, a noun. It's a verb. You know, marriage is a verb. All of these things are, you know, so much work and people are forgetting that it's not just we get married and we live happily ever after, like all of the movies tell us, right? It's, it's we wake up and this happens or we grow in different directions. And I think that's what you were talking about. People can split in an amicable way, which, you know, I, I applaud for how many different ways people split, but there's also room to grow back together. There's also room to pay attention there to love the person that they've become and to love the person that you're becoming and kind of do that. I hear so often this pattern of, you know, we live like roommates or we're two ships passing in a night. And I think that also has to do with how society runs these days, that everything is productivity and the work-life balance is strained and there's so much busyness and action if you have families with kids, they're going everywhere and doing everything. Um, as, as a couple, you know, your work schedules might be totally different and you're kind of just living separate lives, but doing them together. And there's so many missed connections in all of that, that people kind of just go through the motions instead of finding those ways to love and connect and communicate through all of those things. Yeah. Almost like, 
you're in a relationship because that's the societal norm and not because like, you're not consciously thinking that, wow, I'm in a relationship. Let's make this a relationship, but you're just in it to go through the motions. Right. Right. And I think even if there's a lot of love there, I think that people forget to connect. You forget to make the effort. I, I work with so many couples and I'm like, okay, what's going well? You know, and I think a lot of times we're, our mindset is to focus on the negative. And my first conversation is always about what, what are you doing well? What do you find easy right now? And people forget to continue to have date nights, to continue to you know express your love, to figure out what each other's love languages are and things like that. There's so many misfires in communication and so many different ways of communicating that it's not like things are bad all the time. It's just one person is talking at one level and the other person's talking at another and it's just a total miss. Mm-hmm. Why, what is the most, either the one most common or multiple most common reasons people uh, come to see you in a failing relationship? I would say that's missed communication. It's poor communication. It's unhealthy relationship patterns. And that can look so many different ways. I know that sounds broad. Or unhealthy relationship patterns can look like, um, you know, we argue and it gets explosive. Or it can be, you know, I, I ask for my needs to be met and I constantly feel rejected. Or it's just we're not connecting the way that we used to or I feel like the passion has fizzled, you know, those kinds of things. They're all unhealthy relationship patterns. But I would say the, the broadest umbrella is that is to call them those patterns because I think they show up in every relationship. It's just, how do we get through them? There's um, a huge percentage of arguments that end in gridlock. And I think that people don't understand that either. Gridlock you know, by definition is stressful, right? It's like, if you think about driving and that's a gridlock <laughs> and you're stuck in a holding pattern of traffic jam type stuff, people don't realize that most of our arguments as adults and couples don't have a solution to it. It's more about finding the empathy, finding the communication, finding the connection and understanding where the other person sits in that, as opposed to somebody being right and somebody being wrong. There's huge decisions that we make as adults. You know, where do we live? Do you want to move from New York to California? One person does, the other person doesn't. The the compromise isn't, okay, let's go to Texas. You know, it's somebody wins and somebody loses ultimately. And so it's about finding the understanding as to why and what would make you happy in this. The ultimate compromise is, okay, I can live with this, but it's not exactly what I wanted. It's not a winner and a loser. You know, we can have, do we have a child? Do we have another child? You can't have half a baby and call that a compromise, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many different arguments as adults. And I think the number is close to 70% that is there's a lot of research in this too, <laughs> but the, I think that that number is really high as, as opposed to what we can compromise on. And people don't realize that. And that's what I'm saying. People go into marriage and think, oh, this is an easy ride. We've done it and we know what to expect. You have no idea. And I think that's the, the, the biggest conversation that I have is, okay, let's talk about your promises versus your deal breakers. Because when you get married, 
traditionally speaking, you say some sort of vow, you make some sort of promise, but you're making that without living it yet. And you have no idea what that might look like or how hard that might be. But when I say, I'm going to promise you this, that means I'm going to do everything in my power to make that happen. And when I make a mistake, because I will, we're going to fight through that together. A deal breaker is different than that. A deal breaker is if you cross this line, we're done. There's no communication. There's no coming back. And those are different for everybody. And I don't think that's something that people often think about. Mm -hmm. uh, these questions might start to get very random and uh, sporadic just because I'm having a million questions come up as you're speaking. Of course. Uh, <laughs> but w when you talk about those deal breakers, I guess to start with, let's just say I have, you know, a, a deal breaker that's, uh, you know, if you cheat, uh, th that, that's a deal breaker, but then I'm in a relationship where, you know, I love that person so much. And then, which I think this is very common. And then that person goes and cheats, but it turns out not to be a deal breaker because I'm still in that relationship. How would you, I'm the person that set that, uh, that line in the sand. How would you help me either start to trust that person again and stay in the relationship or learn that I have to stick to my guns and be able to leave that relationship? Yeah, I think it's a tricky, it's a tricky question based on what the relationship look like, what looks like and how willing to work each party is. It's totally possible to come back from something like that. Even if you had put it in the ballpark of deal breaker, those things shift and change too. I'm not asking you to put them, you know, in stone. I just ask people to think about it and to know where your line is. It's not even something that has to be, you know, let's put this on pen and paper and talk about it in a blatant way. It can be, where are my boundaries? Where do I set that line? And so it might be individual work where we come up with, you know, why are you going back on this and what's changing your mind about that? Where is this coming from? And kind of working through that process with the individual. But on the couple level, it's more about attunement, right? And coming into this process of going through all of that. How did this happen? What were the, what was missing? What was going on? Where were the gaps? And a lot of times, again, it goes back to connection and communication. Somebody's feeling something and expects somebody else to be a mind reader, doesn't express that or feels a loss and goes out looking or wants to feel loved or excited or just has an opportunity sometimes and presents themselves in a negative way. And there's so many ways through that. It depends on the nature of what happened and how often and you know if there's love attached and all of those things. But through all of that, depending on the willingness of the couple to do the work and the individual level and a couple level, there is a way back. Do you think it's common because like you said there, there is a way back i'm sure it does happen but it's got to be so hard to if someone does cheat even if you know there was something the other person that was doing that might have led to that person cheating um it's it's just got to be one of the hardest things to trust somebody again at, whether it is cheating whether it's lying about something else just once the trust is broken uh, to like fully 100% regain that trust. Uh, again, not just cheating, whether it's uh, that or, or anything. 
uh, I would just imagine that it's got to be less common than more common uh, that the trust uh, actually comes back. It is um, in the subset of people I work with. <laughs> I wouldn't say necessarily on the whole, but you're right. Trust and the lack of trust is another huge thing that people come to therapy about, even when they're not aware that the situation is about trust. So the easy grab is exactly what you went to and saying somebody stepped out of the relationship, somebody had an affair, cheated one way or another. But there's smaller ways to blow up trust too. If I ask for you to meet a need of mine and it is constantly not met, then I feel rejected. And over time, that rejection erodes that trust. And no matter what, those bids for connection and somebody else turning away or turning against that bid, I'm suppressing feelings. There's gonna be less bidding for that attention, avoidance of conflict, or maybe increased conflict hurt feelings, loss of confidence, you know, all of these things, the relationship will end sooner rather than later if those things aren't fixed. There are um, ways through that. Like I said, the attunement is, John Gottman is one of the biggest couples workers in all of this. He's done a lot of research and I think evidence-based practice is the best that you can do in therapy. But with his evidence-based practice, he's done decades of research with hundreds of couples and been able to come up with not only the way back to to rebuild trust but the biggest predictors of divorce and in that in the rebuild of trust because that was more in tune with your question it's it's harder and a long process and for some people it's not an instant i'm done it's a let's work on this and see how far we can go and they realize over time that they can't do it anymore or they'll try and come to a place where it just hurts too much through that process there's a lot of bruising you know emotional bruising it takes time to heal from that and sometimes that's an individual process and sometimes it's within a couple and one or both parties might say okay the you know, I hate to say the word offender, but the person who stepped out of the relationship might get sick of having to be an open book or might get sick of having to answer those questions or go back to those emotions or, you know, keep fighting for that trust. So it's not just the person who was cheated on that walks away all the time. It's sometimes the person who's done that stepping out or broken that trust in whatever way. But the way back is small ways and oftentimes trust gets blown up in big monumental ways but there's no real big monumental way to rebuild trust it's really rebuilt in the small moments of connection so those small moments when you're turning towards somebody versus turning away or against and i've mentioned bid for connection a few times um, since we've been chatting and i just want to tell you what what i mean by that and ultimately what that is, is just looking for somebody else to connect with you. And we talk about it when we talk about kids a lot easier, right? When we see a kid throwing a tantrum or when we see a kid raising their hand or jumping up with excitement or something like that, they're looking for connection, but adults do that in so many ways too. When we come in the house at the end of a long day and huff and puff around, you know, that's a bid for connection. We want somebody to ask us what's wrong or how was your day or something along those lines, or it could be in more kind ways, like a smile or a wink, 
Um, it could be in complex ways where you're actually asking for advice or help or saying the words, trying to connect, like saying, let's have a date night or let's do this. So all of these things are bids for connection and the response can go three ways. Turning toward, which is this connection with that person in that moment, noticing it and connecting to it, turning away or turning against. And just to kind of drive that home, I'll give you an example, like a hard and fast this is what it looks like. Let's say I'm at the sink doing dishes and my partner comes in the door and drops their bag and just kind of walks in and uh, big sigh, right? I am going about my day. I have 10 things going on. The, the dishes are, you know, overflowing. Dinner's on the stove. The kids are finishing homework. You know, life is hectic. So I have a choice right there. I can turn toward, which would be shutting off the water, drying my hands, turning towards my partner and saying, I'm really glad you're home. How was your day? Or it could be turning away, which is more of this neutral kind of feeling, but it feels like it could be positive. And it's more of a over the shoulder. Hey, how you doing? Glad you're home. It sounds like at face value, it's positive, but there's no real connection there. It feels a lot like when you pass somebody on the street and you say hi, you don't really wait for their answer or that kind of elevator conversation where you're like, how are you? And you, mm -hmm. you know that the answer is just going to be good. How are you? It's kind of that superficial feeling. The turning against would be more of a, an avoidance. You know, I'm ignoring this. I'm going about my business. We're that kind of two ships passing in the night mentality. And that's what I mean by all of that. And so the process of building back trust is really choosing any moment you can to turn towards somebody's bid for attention and actually propose your own bids. This is some good stuff. I'm learning a lot right now. <laughs> um, because this is a, a mental health podcast, um, in your own words, your own opinion, and this could be an obvious answer, but what kind of mental toll can it take on people staying in a unhealthy relationship without trying to make it better? Oh, it can, it can cause trauma at its basic level. I mean, trauma is a deeply distressing event, right? And I think people are afraid to call things trauma, but staying in an unhealthy relationship is exactly that. It can create um, so many things beyond trauma. Trauma is kind of like this precipitating event. And what that can do to you is beat your self-esteem. It can cause a lot of depression symptoms, anxiety symptoms. It can um, create conflict in future relationships, issues with trust, self-identity, motivation, you know, having a voice, all of those things. And it really can take a hit on somebody. And people, I hear this a lot with couples who have kids, you know, I'm staying in it for the kids or I'm staying in it because I want my kids to have a solid family unit or things like that. No don't. You want your kids to see what a healthy relationship look like. You want to be your best self, your best version of you to present for your kids. And that's not what you're doing if you're staying in a relationship where you're becoming less than. And going the other way, um, let's just say someone does end a relationship, but there's still lingering trauma from that that without working on is inevitably going to affect every other relationship that person has down the road. Do you have any tips and tricks 
um, you know, right, right off uh, the top of your head that someone can use and implement to not have a previous relationship negatively impact future ones? I wish I had like five, you know, here's your hard and fast things to go through to manage that. I think the biggest, you know, tip I have is to seek someone else to help you find that because usually what happens is people are so entrenched in their own perspective that they need help with that mirror. Right. And I think that's exactly what therapy does is that I, I believe, and it's easy for me to say, I understand that um, from where I sit, that the healthiest person can benefit from therapy and having somebody to talk to. And so, especially when you're struggling and trying to recover from trauma and manage that, um, your first line of defense is going to be self-care. Um, and I would say the second would be to reach out to somebody to help you see more of you. Mm-hmm. And speaking of reaching out, uh, let's just say you're still in a relationship. Uh, you know, there's a couple constantly arguing about this and that. And I know this is very general and people come to you with more specific problems. But uh, in a as general sense as you can make it, if a couple comes to work with you, what is that process like? Oh, Sure. Um, Well, initially, I take an intake, which would be just a general quick conversation to say, you know, what's what's prompting you to reach out and what are you looking for um, as far as help? What do you want help with? And and I think therapy is a lot like dating. (laughs) Initially, there's a lot of personality matching. People got to feel comfortable. And if you don't, it's, you're not going to get as much out of it. And so I think I prefer to do that over the phone. A lot of people prefer to do that over email. So I go either direction. Um, But I check in with people just to see if they feel like I'm a good fit for what they need. And if they feel that's a good process, then I do a lot of um, electronic paperwork because all of my practices currently online. Um, it's telemental health. So I do video primarily, but often do a phone call. All of my couples, however, I work with them um, in video. So I would then take intake paperwork, which would ask, excuse me, ask some background questions about them as an individual, um, about their childhood, family of origin, kind of what life is like for them now, job stress, relationship stress, some basic overall questions as an individual, and then for them to answer about the relationship. Um, And then from there, I review those and talk about what I noted in some of that. We talk about confidentiality and how things work logistically. And then in the first session, we talk about what they can expect from me and kind of go through the process of meeting their needs and how to talk about the positive. As I mentioned, I try to jump right into what's going well so that we can use that as a foundation. And I offer some um, examples of more things that they can do to continue that. Because I think I mentioned self-care a second ago, but relational care is really important in couples work. And if you don't have that foundation to talk about the hard stuff becomes even harder because you, there's the resiliency is more challenging. So if you have that baseline of relational care and can increase it, then it makes the harder conversations a little bit easier. It's kind of like the idea that people say, you know, things are going well, so I didn't want to rough the waters. And I am adamantly against that. I think that's the best time to talk about things. So I try to keep those waters calm by increasing 
relational care during that first session, talking about that. And then we go from there and kind of just dig in as things progress. Do you ever recommend that a couple separate after working with them? Yes. I think that's part of my job. You know, yeah. I think if it's toxic or somebody is, I don't often give recommendations or advice. I try to help people see the healthiest path for them. And sometimes it, that means not being together. The first time you had to do it, was it really uncomfortable to do? Or I guess even now when you do it? It's hard, but I think when it gets to that point, it's not uncomfortable for me because I see it as still helping. I see it as the healthiest path. And if I feel like I'm doing the most good for my clients, I feel good about that. It's, it's harder for them, I think, sometimes to hear it. And sometimes, honestly, I've seen it be a relief to have somebody say, this is okay. Mm -hmm. And now just to get into the last couple questions um being that hopefully everyone's adhering to the stay-at-home guidelines uh there's probably a lot more time being spent uh together by couples than before uh, is there a single uh exercise you can give out to people right now that they can do at home to either strengthen their relationship better the communication they have, uh, strengthen the trust, uh, anything like that? Yeah, I have, I have quite a few. T those are, that's the area that I have these hard and fast tips for you. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, a few things, honestly. I think the first thing is if you don't know your love language, um, go find out. Go to the website. They have a couple's quiz that you can take, the fivelovelanguages.com. It's the number five. And that's with Gary Chapman, who's another pioneer in the field. Um, but if you figure out your love language, the problem that we have with communication is often we're doing things for our partner that is it our love language as opposed to theirs, and that creates misfires. So figure out what yours is, ask your partner to figure out what theirs are, and do things every day for your partner in their love language. For me, that would be make me coffee. I uh, love it, and it's an, an act it's taking something off my plate that I do every day anyway. It's an act of service. And then it's also just kind of doing something for me that you know I love, even if you hate it. And for a partner, that might be a massage or a planning a date night. That might be leaving a note on the refrigerator for them to find. You know, little things to stay connected and communicating is the first tip I have for you. The second tip is to continue with date nights, even if they're at home. The difference between um, a regular date night and um, a date night right now is just the intentionality behind it. So if you're somebody who sits with your spouse and watches a TV show every Thursday night, there's a difference when you put it in the framework of date night, you know, calling it that means that you sit closer on the couch, you might hold hands, maybe somebody plans, you know, the snack that you're going to have with it, and you put a time around it. it, it changes the framework of things, it puts it in the forefront of your brain, and it changes the way that you act in that date night. So it doesn't have to be some grand gesture, you can do what you've always done, but put it in the realm 
of this is what we're doing from this hour to this hour and will you you know have this date night with me it should be a couple hours it could be making dinner together or you know do, doing chores and turning on the music and singing i don't know whatever it looks like to you is fine but just make it planned and intentional and then the third thing is really tricky and easier said than done but speak your needs with transparency in a much um, more blatant way than you've ever done <laughs> because and this is more specific to being home with your with each other in this state that we're in right now with this pandemic going on because i think when we encourage each other to read our minds you know we we often think or say you should know me better than to blah or you should know i like x you know and i think there's something to being able to say, hey, I need time alone right now, or hey, can you help me with X because I'm really struggling with this. If you speak your needs and speak them as needs with transparency, that will help your communication in your relationship right now. Don't be afraid to say that you need time. Don't be afraid you need time apart or together. Just kind of that blatant communication is gonna be really helpful right now. All right, great. And Let's say there's a struggling couple. They try some of these things. Uh, doesn't work out. They're still struggling. And they say, you know what? I think we can use Bridget's help. Where can they find you to potentially work with you since you do uh, work with people online? Sure. Um, you can find me at bridge com. And on there, you can find my email, uh, my social media, my phone number, and I'm happy to talk to anybody however they feel comfortable for an initial conversation. If somebody wants to shoot me a text or a phone call or an email, whatever works for the people reaching out is totally okay. I understand comfort levels are different for everybody, but all of that information is on my website at bridgetohealthyself.com. Right, great. And I will, of course, have that in the show notes, but... I just want to say, Bridget, I really appreciate you hopping on here and chatting with me. As I said earlier, uh, even for me, this was uh, very useful and I'm not even in a relationship, but <laughs> I do feel like I learned a lot. So the next time I am, uh, I'll be more prepared. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> once again, I just want to thank you for hopping on here today. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Hey, real quick, before you go, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave us some feedback. Let me know what you loved, what you hated, or just come and say what's up. If you have any interest on in being on the show or any questions at all, you can hit me up on Instagram at underscore one a week. And with that, be kind, be positive, be great. We out.